So Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart, apparently, from this verse, is a mystery. Um, and we've talked about the heart of a king for, I don't know, the last four Wednesdays, something like that. And we've, we've talked about the king's heart. Some sought the Lord with all their heart, some with a perfect heart, some not with a perfect heart. The thing that gets me, Brother Matt, is you can't know your own heart. According to this verse, Brother Tommy. So we got, we got all these kings that sought God and, and, and their heart was in some condition, but they didn't know the condition of their own heart. I hope that tonight before we leave that you'll be able to discern the condition of your heart. Because God did give us a tool for that. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you because you're so good, because you're so faithful. And, and God, you're, you're just here. And I thank you for that. Thank you that you're a very present help in time of trouble. Thank you that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst of us. Thank you, Lord, that, that, that heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool and nothing can contain you, that you're everywhere. We thank you, God, that you're here. And I pray that you'll open our minds to receive your word, open our hearts to receive your word. God, anoint me to speak exactly what you want spoken, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for such a long period of time. Uh, I've read a couple of verses this week, or in this past month or so. Second Chronicles 16 and verse number 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God's looking for somebody uh, not with a perfect heart but with a heart that's perfect toward Him. David was a flawed individual. There was stuff in David's heart that wasn't real good. David had lust in his heart. David had murder in his heart. He did. David had murder in his heart. But God said, He's a man after my own heart. So even though David was flawed and he had issues, he had, he had problems, he had, a, he, he, had a, he had heart issues, he had a heart that was perfect toward God. First Chronicles 28 and 9, David talks to Solomon and says, Solomon, my son, know the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts if you seek him, he will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Uh, we've talked about a number of kings and their heart condition. We talked about Saul, whom God said about Saul, when you were perfect or when you were little in your own eyes, I chose you. Uh, but then Saul got a little bigger in his own sight. David, we talked about he was a man after God's own heart. Solomon, the follower of David, 
who we've looked at, or at least I have. Maybe, maybe you Bible scholars have seen through the, the, the life of Solomon and things that I didn't understand, but you know, for years I looked at the wealth of Solomon and thought, man, that's awesome stuff, until I realized Deuteronomy told Solomon not to become wealthy. And so his opulence was a sign of disobedience, and his wives turned his heart away from God. We talked about Rehoboam, who prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. We talked about Uzziah, who God marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction. There were some good kings. There were. A handful. A small handful. You could count them on one hand and have some fingers left over. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was remembered for good things. He had a couple of little mishaps. For the most part, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He just made one mistake that absolutely obliterated generations to follow him, and that's that he allowed his son to marry the daughter of Jezebel. And uh, we talked on that night about the fact that it matters who you marry that you're better off to be saved and single than married and lost. Because it matters. Because that, that spouse is going to have more impact on your life probably than God. Probably. Uh, Joash was saved out of that mess. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But his heart was not with God because even though he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, uh, he became a preacher killer because he followed a man of God but didn't love the message of God. We didn't talk about Hezekiah. We could spend lots of time talking about Hezekiah. We won't, but Hezekiah is the only king uh, that's mentioned in First King or that's mentioned in the Kings, mentioned in Chronicles, and his life is recorded in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Hezekiah... Uh, I know I need to talk about Hezekiah because I felt this as I prayed in the altar. Hezekiah was a man of powerful prayer. Hezekiah, uh, they they had revival under Hezekiah, and and he reinstituted the Passover. There hadn't been a Passover for generations, and and the Bible says that that men came to. Uh, to the Passover, and they were unprepared, and, and, and they had not sanctified themselves. They hadn't cleansed themselves and prepared for the Passover. And apparently they were smitten with a sickness, and the Bible says that Hezekiah prayed for them, and God healed them because of the prayer of Hezekiah. Hezekiah would get bad news, apparently, from Isaiah. Hezekiah, your days are up. Uh, your, your life is going to be taken from you. You need to set your affairs in order. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed and said, Hasn't my heart been perfect towards you, God? And, and, and God healed him. And then after that, Hezekiah's life was a wreck. Because of an answered prayer. Well, if Hezekiah had died, if he'd have turned over in that bed and died, and history would have recorded his life, he would have gone down as one of the most successful kings in Israel's history. He would have been on the list of guys that finished well. But he prayed that God would heal him, 
And after his healing, he did not live the rest of his life for the glory of God. And I felt as I prayed in this altar tonight that we ask God to do things for us and in us and through us, but we better attach to it. Let it be for your glory, O God. And if it's not your will to do it, then don't do it, O God. Because that man would have finished well, but because he was healed, he would go on and he would lose the, the, the treasures of the kingdom. So Lord, when you answer my prayer, if it is your will to answer my prayer, God, let me live my life from there on out for your glory. Because he was a powerful man of prayer. Who else do you know that can turn their head to the wall, pray about 40 words, and God says, oh, hey, prophet, go back and tell him I've healed him. He was a powerful man. He prayed and God healed an entire nation. He was a powerful man. But when the prophet came to him and says, you have done foolishly after his healing, you've done foolishly, and evil is going to come upon the nation. However, it's not going to happen in your lifetime, but it's going to happen to your children. Hezekiah said, oh, well, that's good that nothing bad's going to happen to me. That powerful man of prayer should have said, God spared me for a reason. God spared my life that I could pray one more time. And I'm not satisfied to live my life out in peace. I want my children to live their life out in peace. God blessed him and he became selfish. God help us. Help us apostolic Pentecostal people that have been delivered from the filth of this world not to be satisfied with us just being delivered but I want my kids to live in a righteous home I want them to be saved I want them to love God it's not just enough for me to be saved but let it be for your glory and so I'm not going to talk about Hezekiah I'm not going to talk about Asa I'm not going to talk about uh, Asa who, who was marvelously helped by the power of the Lord. Brother Josh really likes Asa and he wants me to preach about Asa, but I'm not going to. Amaziah was, uh, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but he was self-motivated instead of God-motivated. We could go on and on. There were a number of kings that started out bad and they stayed that way. But I want to finish and conclude this series tonight and talk about two kings, a tale of two kings a tale of two books, and a tale of two hearts. I'll talk to you about two kings, a father and son duo, in fact. One named Josiah and his son named Jehoiakim. Now you may have heard of Josiah, but there probably haven't been a lot of messages that you've heard on Jehoiakim. Josiah began to reign whenever he was eight years old. Now the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But he didn't really do anything of significance, apparently, until he was about 16 years old. Because it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young. Elbow somebody, say, while he was yet young. Holler at a teenager and say, while he was yet young. He began to seek after God. Now, remember Joash, who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest, we talked about him. As long as the preacher was standing beside him, he did that which was right. But it says about uh, Josiah that he sought the Lord. And there's a difference between doing what's right and seeking God. 
And so when he was a young man, teenagers, whenever he was yet 15 or 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, whenever he was uh, somewhere around 19 or 20 years old, in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images because the multiple kings that preceded him were idol worshipers and they had done that which was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And so as Josiah began to seek God, he began to look around and say, this isn't right and this isn't right and this isn't right. And Josiah went on a kingdom-wide tour. And tore down altars. And killed prophets and burnt their bones on the altars. Boy, that'll make you shout, won't it? Burn these bones. Burnt their bones up, Brother Jeff. Uh, he, he went around, he tore down the, the groves, which we would call totem poles. He, he destroyed the molten images that they had worshipped. When he was 20 years old, he cleansed the nation of, 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 of Israel, excuse me, the, the nation of Judah. Uh, and then when he was 26 years old, he ordered the temple to be repaired. It evidently had fallen in disrepair in those previous administrations. And he ordered Hilkiah the priest and, and the others that oversaw the work of the temple, you need to clean the temple up, you need to fix some stuff. And so they began to repair the temple. I don't know what they fixed. They fixed the doors, they fixed the roof, whatever needed to be fixed. All the trash that, that uh, you know, those, those prophets of Baal and those false prophets, they probably sat there in the sanctuary, drank their Cokes and ate their Funyuns and left the trash laying right there on the floor. They were disrespectful to the house of God. And he was throwing out trash and Hilkiah the priest, he's throwing out stuff. And they're just, they're just tossing stuff out. You ever have one of those days where you just, or you're cleaning? Uh, let me talk to some ladies here. Do any of you ladies rage clean? I, okay. I, I don't, I, I, does, I think I only rage clean whenever I'm cleaning the vehicle. And I've said this, I will say it again. There's nothing that will make you resent your children more than cleaning out a vehicle. Why is this in here? Has anybody ever said that? I was cleaning out the back of our navigator one time, Brother Pat. I found a chicken bone underneath the seat. Why is there a chicken bone underneath the seat? And there's French fries and there's probably barbecue sauce in the carpet because one of my children has a barbecue sauce handicap. But, uh, but, but. And so I can just see Hilkiah in the temple and he's mad because these, these false prophets have junked up the temple and they're slinging stuff around. Get that out of here. Get that out of here. And, and as, he, as he looks through the temple, he, he, he goes, oh, hey, look, a book. Huh. And he opens the book. The priest begins to read the book. Feel the presence of the Lord right now. You feel that? read the book. He saw the book. He said, this is the book that Moses wrote. You're, you remember four or five weeks ago, we talked about Solomon. That, that Moses said, whenever you got a king, you make sure that you give him a, this book. And you make sure that he writes a copy of this book while the high priest watches. Someplace Back in the, 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 the outer recesses, in, in the temple, underneath junk that had been, just been cast aside, Hilkiah the priest found the book 
that Moses had written down. And he began to read it. And he says, we've got we to show this book to the king. And so, Second Chronicles 34, verse number 18, it says, Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes. Because he realized what his fathers before him had done. He realized all the false doctrine that had been tolerated and all the false gods that had been, uh, uh, that they, they'd worshipped. They, they, had, they had loved the false gods and worshipped false gods. And, and, and whenever, whenever he read that, he, he rent his clothes. Evidently, he did not know it was written. Because somebody had misplaced the book. And so, Josiah says to Hilkiah and Shaphan, the, the scribe, he says, you go inquire of the Lord for me. Go, and cry, go inquire. And so, they, they went down to uh, this prophetess's house. Tells her the story. This is what happened. And uh, the prophetess, I don't know, maybe, maybe he went down to, to Boomer Bottom and, and, and found, found a prophetess down there. Found a sister Martha. By the way, if you missed the prophetess last night, <laughs> you missed a word from the Lord. Went down to the prophetess and, and he said, Inquire of the Lord. And, and her response was this You go back and you tell that king that destruction is coming to Jerusalem. Destruction is coming to Judah because they have forsaken my law. But you go back and you tell that king these words, because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest the words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof and humbled thyself before me and rent your clothes and wept before me. I have heard thee also, saith the Lord, and I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to the grave in peace. She said, because your heart was tender toward the Lord. Because your heart, somebody say heart. Because your heart was tender toward the word of God. I want you to understand something. Josiah was already a good guy. Josiah was already doing everything right as far as we can tell. He's tearing down idols and he's, he's reading re paper in the temple. You know, he's putting up new wallpaper and all that kind of stuff. He's making everything. Uh, he's doing everything he can to worship God. And whenever he got a word that said, Your fathers have sinned against the law of God, he rent his clothes and was broken hearted. He didn't have to do that. But it says his heart was tender toward the word of the Lord. He would have been seen favorably by history anyway if he had passed off the scene. This story would have been forgotten. But when Josiah heard the word he, and realized their error, he was smitten in his heart. He had a heart that was tender toward the word of the Lord. We need to have a heart that's tender toward the word of the Lord. David said in Psalm 119, Therefore I esteem thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. 
Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I'm talking about a man who is in good shape anyway, but he was broken hearted whenever he heard the word of the Lord. He was tender. Somebody just elbow your neighbor and tell him he was tender hearted. Now, this message can't end because I told you it was a tale of two kings and a tale of two books and a tale of two hearts. I want to fast forward just a handful of years, maybe even just months, to his son Jehoiakim. Because after, after Josiah died, uh, he, he had one son that was installed as king and he was only there for six months, I believe. And then his successor was also Josiah's son. His name was Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim lived in the time of Jeremiah the, the prophet. It's fascinating how all these books overlap. And uh, I, I, I don't know if y'all are enjoying this study of Second Chronicles as much as I am, but I'm really enjoying studying this stuff. He's living during the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Josiah was alive during the time of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was heartbroken when Josiah died. But the word of the Lord came to, to Jeremiah. God said, these things that I've spoken to you, I want you to take a pen and paper. I want you to write these things. And so Jeremiah got a scribe whose name was Baruch, I believe was his name. You know, if it's not Baruch, don't fix it. <laughs> I heard the prophetess back there. She had a word for me. God had talked to Jeremiah about destruction that was coming to the city of Jerusalem. God had given some specific instructions about what, how they should conduct themselves between now and the destruction. And so Jeremiah dictated those words in a book. It was probably a scroll, but for our time today, we'll just say that it was a book. Dictated those words. Baruch wrote them down. And it says that Baruch took the book. The, there, there was a, a convoluted process kind of how it got to the king, but Baruch gave it to somebody and they read it and they said, oh my goodness, the king needs to see this. And they gave it to somebody else. And, and, uh, and, and, and it says they went into the king, Jeremiah 36 and 20, they went into King Jehoiakim unto the court, but they, they laid up the roll. They, they, they laid up the book someplace else. They said, hey, we're going to sure how the king's going to respond to this. So we're just going to go and tell the king what Jeremiah wrote in the book, you know, that Baruch wrote. So as they went into the king and the court, they laid up that book and told all the words in the ears of the king. And so the king sent Jehudiah to fetch the roll and he took it out. I, oh, there's too many names here, we don't get it hung up. He says, go get the scroll, go get the book. And he read it in the ears of the king. And so he goes, he finds the, finds the book. Okay, king, now that you're interested, we'll just, we'll just open this up and we'll start at the very beginning and tell you what Jeremiah said. And he began to read it. He says that he read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. And before I tell you what the next verse says, I want to ask you a question. How do you and how will you react to a word you didn't know? Because that's what happened to Josiah. He found this book. Like, oh! 
didn't know that was in there. I, I, I remember what it was like to be a new convert and uh, read through the book. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Anybody else know who I'm talking about? Anybody else do that stuff? He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart already. You gotta. I remember I hadn't been in church very long, and you know the Powerball now. Powerball's ridiculous now. It's like you can win a half a billion dollars this week playing. I mean, it was probably like five hundred million back then. And and all of us at the Magic Mart store, we got together because that's where I worked. All the employees got together. You know, we put our money together. And we went, we bought a bunch of lottery tickets, and uh, uh, and you know we weren't going to win, but. How aggravating would that be to win the $50 million and then have to split it with people that you work with? I mean, I would have taken it, but I played the lottery and, uh, and, 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 and this prophetess came to me who will remain unnamed. And she said, did you buy a lottery ticket? Oh, yeah, you know, we all pitched in. She said, well, we don't play the lottery. Give me book and verse. No, just... Uh. Has anybody ever felt like that? Brother Josh, you found some... That's in there. But at that moment, you have a choice of how you're going to respond to the word you didn't know. There's choices. We can ignore it. We can justify what... Let me, let me tell you how Jehoiakim, how he reacted. It says that now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month and there was a fire burning on the hearth that was before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves that the king cut it with the penknife and threw it into the fire that was on the hearth until the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. And none of the king, the king nor any of the princes feared because of the word of the Lord. Joash rent his clothes. Jehoiakim rent the word. Jehoiakim said, I, I don't like that. I think we'll take that part out. And he cut it with a penknife and he threw it in the fire. He read three or four pages and he, he took it and he rent it with a penknife and he threw it in the fire. Read three or four pages and finally he took the entire scroll and he pitched it into the fire. That was how he reacted to the word that he didn't like and he didn't know. God help us. God help us to be tender hearted like a Josiah. Because I'll tell you, the end of Josiah, you're going to pass away in peace, sir. But a Jehoiakim, you're not going to pass away in peace. You're going to see destruction come upon the land in your days. That's how Jehoiakim treated the precious Word of God. The Word is precious. That Word... 
that word that Jeremiah spoke. Oh, I know he was a contemporary prophet. He was just a preacher. I'm telling you, it was the word of the Lord that came to Jehoiakim in an attempt to save his life. But Jehoiakim cast it aside. It was the spoken word just as much as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth was the spoken word that through the word of God we understand that the worlds were framed. We're begotten by the word of God. The Bible says search the scriptures for in them you have eternal life. I'm I'm telling you the word of God is so precious. But he said, you know what? I don't like that part. And he cast it into the fire. We lift our hands for just a moment. We've got the privilege of a word that's got healing in it. We've got the privilege of a word that's got deliverance in it. We've got, a pri- we've got the privilege of a word that's got salvation wrapped up in it. We've got the privilege of a word that is full of power and joy and righteousness and promises and rejoicing and creative power and the love of God. We better love the word of the Lord. But this is what I want you to understand. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Somebody say every word. Every word, not just the word I like, not just the word that I'm comfortable with, not just the word that I've heard over and over again, and I I like that part. But he said, every word, we got to live by it. Jehoiakim, you cannot get out your knife and cut out the pieces that you don't like and keep the pieces that you do. This word, every word is God-filled. Every word. Every word has power. Every word. Every word. For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's God essence. Every word is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. So how do we react to the word that we don't like? We can ignore it. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. That's an option. We can justify ignoring it. Well, you know, we can rationalize why we are going to disobey. That's, that, that word's not really for today. That's out of date. That's not for us. Can I just pause and, and make a, a doctrinal point? You cannot throw away the Old Testament. You cannot throw away Old Testament teaching. How many believe this word, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Paul wasn't talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They hadn't been written yet. He was talking about Genesis through Malachi. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. When Paul wrote that to Timothy, he wasn't saying, Timothy, you need to go back and study my letter to the Corinthian church. He was saying, you need to study Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Habakkuk. and You need to go study to show thyself approved. You can't throw away the Old Testament. The New Testament church only had the Old Testament. Well, that's in the Old Testament. We don't have to follow that. Now it is true that I don't I had no no plans at all to get here but we'll park here for a second. It is true that some things in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. We don't bring turtle doves and lambs and oxen and those sacrifices to the temple anymore because it says that Jesus was our sacrifice once and for all. And there is no need of further sacrifice because He was the perfect Lamb. That, man, those Old Testament sacrifices, they rolled sin back to be remembered again next year. But John looked at Him and said, Hey, there's a Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Woo! So there's some stuff in that Old Testament that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. But you can't throw away the Old Testament. We can ignore. We can justify ignoring. We can rationalize our behavior. We can try to split hairs and find loopholes. Well, where does it say I can't play the lottery? I'm so glad when that beautiful brunette told me those words, we don't play the lottery, that I didn't need her to give me a seven-page Bible study. That I'm, I'm, I'm not into just believing blindly. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying. But I'm so glad that she told me what her pastor preached and I had a heart to receive it. I'm glad I didn't say, well... Can you show me that in, in, in the book? Because when you start asking those questions, please don't, don't listen to this and say I'm against sound teaching. I'm not. But some people are just looking for a way around. Because when the Word of God challenges you, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to consecrate or you're going to compromise. I'm either going to consecrate to what the book says or I'm going to compromise with my own flesh because my own flesh is always going to push against what the book says. And so if I had said, well, can you give me book and verse for that? What's that mean in the Greek right there? If, you look, if you're looking for a loophole. Try to split hairs, fine. Here's a good one. Man, I'll just... We'll have a great preacher here on Wednesday night, I'm telling you. But we'll just, we'll just have some fun tonight. Well, preacher, where does it say I can't drink a beer every now and then? It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't. Brother Barry, you're a Bible scholar. Where does it say I can't drink a beer every now and then? Does it say that? Does it say that? He's nervous can be. 
This is not a setup. This is not a setup. Well, I've read the book and it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. First of all, beer ain't wine, and if I just drink one, I'm not drunk. That's all true. But I don't even want to get close to the line. I don't want to get close to the line. I want my heart to be tender toward the word of the Lord. If he said, if he said don't do this, then I, I want to back up a few steps. I'm not looking for a loophole. We can split hairs. We can ridicule the word. That's just stupid. That's so outdated. That's so backwards thinking. That, that doesn't have anything to do with culture today. And our culture today wants to tear loose the very fundamental moorings of morality in the Word of God. We can ridicule the Word, split hairs, rationalize. We can justify. We can cut out the parts that we don't like. You know, there's stuff that I've read in the Word. I didn't like it when I read it. Anybody else just agree with me for a moment? I didn't, my flesh, my carnal mind didn't like it when I read it. I've learned something though, Brother Pat. It's always for my good. It's always for my good. There's some stuff, Brother Jeff, that I don't want to preach. Because... I know that it is going to cause a conflict in your spirit. Hmm. Because the word demands of you a decision. Even if your decision is, I'm going to ignore that, it's a decision. There's some stuff I don't want to preach because I know that there's a possibility and I love you and I know that there's a possibility that because I've preached this, it may, you may make the wrong decision and it may alienate you from God and you're going to be responsible for that decision for the rest of your life. So there's some stuff, Brother Pat, that I don't even want to preach, but every word in the book is good. Every word, every promise Every instruction, every commandment, it's all good. And it's good for us. Here's what happens. And I'm, I'm going to close. We can choose to ignore or embrace the Word. Don't we stand? I want my heart to be right. Uh, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. It's wicked, desperately wicked. Who can know it? How can you even know what's in your own heart? I have an answer for you tonight. For the Word of God is quick it means it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing 
to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me, let me read that to you. That's the last part in a different translation. It says in the Amplified that the word is exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of our heart. Do you want to know how? Do you want to know what's in your heart? It depends and is it is exposed by how we react to the word. David. You did all this stuff wrong. You're a murderer and you're an adulterer and you numbered the people and you did all this stuff wrong. What made David different? When the word of the prophet came to him and said, you are the man, David's response to the word was, yeah, that's me. He didn't argue with the prophet. He, he, he didn't try to split hairs with the prophet. He didn't try to ignore what the prophet said. He didn't change the channel to a prophet that he liked a little bit better. He said, you are right, that's me. And he repented of his sin. What the Word of God is going to do is that the Word's going to come and it's going to be contrary to our flesh and contrary to our comfort and it will expose our heart. And our heart will be manifested by the way that we respond to the Word of God. I want to be tender-hearted. I want to have a heart like a Josiah that says, it's not my fault, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, but God, I want to be right in your sight. I don't want to be a Jehoiakim that says, you can preach all that you want, preacher, but I'm going to throw this book away. I wish you'd lift your hands in the air right now. Maybe you want to come to this altar right now. But God, give us a heart that is tender towards your word. Give us a heart that is towards you. Give us a heart, oh God, that is after your own heart.